Amen. Thank you, Aaron and praise team. That good reminder that if all we have is Jesus, then we have enough. That Jesus plus whatever it is we think we need is a false and empty equation. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 1 again today. We're going to finish up Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to conclude our January series. Thank God that he gave us five Sundays this month in order to get it done because I needed it. Uh, we're going to take another look in the mirror today and confront the reality of who we actually are uh, from the inside out. Remember that this section in Isaiah chapter 1 is about developing an accurate anthropology, getting a realistic picture of what it means to be a human being, no matter how terrifying that reality may be, because there's good news as well. There's good news that we're going to get to in a minute. The prophet Isaiah is calling us to take a truthful look at what humans are and what is human nature. So our text again for today is Isaiah chapter 1, uh, verses 21 to 31. I invite you to turn there if you have your Bibles today we, as we finish these final 11 uh, verses in chapter 1 of Isaiah. And why don't we stand in honor of God's word as we read our text this morning together. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 21 to 31. Hear now the word of the Lord. How the faithful city has become a whore, she who is full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Therefore, the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired and you shall blush for the gardens that you've chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tender and his work as a spark. And both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. A happy passage. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. When I was a youth pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, um, our music pastor at our church resigned to go uh, start a church plant. And... I got the opportunity to help lead the contemporary service. 
uh, musically in our church. And in Birmingham, I was a really good musician. And then I moved back to Nashville, and I'm realizing I'm not good at music uh, like I thought I was. But in Alabama, I was great. And uh, I, I really enjoyed playing uh, music and helping to lead that service. And we had an awesome band. And we had one guy in the band who was like a, a session player. He was like a studio guitar player. Uh, and he had an exquisite collection of guitars. Uh, Jay, you'll appreciate this. 1946 D28 Martin guitar. Uh, it's worth like 30 grand or something. Just a beautiful instrument. And then he also had this 1968 Gibson ES335. Original hardware on it. The Bigsby was original. Everything on it was just beautiful and exquisite. And he could play uh, the, the fool out of that thing and make it just sound incredible. And it was tasteful and it really just uh, helped enhance our worship. And he told me the story about this guitar. One time I was complimenting him on the guitar and he said, man, this guitar and I've been on a journey. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, I, I bought it through a guitar shop brand new in Mississippi in the late 60s and had it up until the early 80s when me and my wife were pregnant with our first child and we needed the money. And so I had to pawn it. And he pawned it for, you know, maybe a thousand bucks or something. And he took the cash and raised, you know, their kids. And uh, he always, you know, missed that guitar. And then 20 something years later, he was in a pawn shop in Birmingham and he saw a 1968 Gibson ES-335. He said, that, that looks just like the one that I used to have. And he picked it up and he said, oh, it feels just like the one I used to have. And then he turned it over on the back and the scratch from his belt buckle that he had put there back in the 70s was still there. It was the same guitar that he had bought in Mississippi. And he found it in this pawn shop, but this time it cost 10 times what it had originally cost him. And guess what he did? He bought it. He took out a loan, but he bought it. <laughs> he made it his own again because he loved it and he was sad to part with it. And now he had made it his own again at great cost. That's what we call redemption, right? To bring back that which was lost at great cost is what we call redeeming or redemption. Whether you redeem a coupon at the grocery store in order to make some grocery item your own at a uh, cost of cutting a coupon or now scanning, I guess, on your phone, or whether you redeem your skee-ball tickets, your hard-earned skee-ball tickets at the skate center uh, in order to get that stuffed teddy bear or whatever it is that you're getting at the skate center, uh, you're going to redeem that at the se se section that says redemption, right? And some people will spend, you know, 40, 50 bucks on skee-ball trying to win a, a toy that probably costs 50 cents to, to make, right? But they, they trade in those tickets at hard-earned cost in order to make that prize their own, that prize possession. That is redemption. And the heart of God is to redeem this fallen creation back unto himself, especially the crown of creation, which is you and I, the people who have been made in his own image, his beloved vice regents over creation, you and me, people who bear the divine image. His heart is to bring us back into his fold. Verse 27 is kind of the key verse in this whole section. 
Zion, the holy city of God, representing all of the covenant people of God, shall be redeemed, shall be bought back, brought back by justice, by God's justice. And those in her who repent, who turn from their ways and turn back to God's ways by righteousness, they shall be brought back to God. That's where he wants to take us. We've been talking about how in this first chapter of Isaiah, we see how we are convicted of our sin, and that's a good thing. That's not beating ourselves up or feeling guilty. The conviction of sin is, is a result of our human inadequacy before the high and holy God. And that conviction of sin leads to repentance, where we stop going our own way, which leads to destruction and ruin, and we turn back to the Lord, and we run to him who stands ready with open arms to embrace us once again. The conviction of sin leads to repentance, and then the repentance leads us home to redemption. That's where we're going to end today, with redemption. We're going to see how this whole chapter leads us towards being brought back to God and reunited with the holy God. He does this work of redemption by confronting us uh, in four different ways. We're going to see here in this chapter, uh, in just these 11 verses, four different ways in which God leads us to redemption by confronting our corruption, our redemption, our decision, and our reality. I know a lot of you out there don't like confrontation. Uh, my wife's that way. She can't stand confrontation. But the Lord loves us too much to leave us alone. He loves us too much. This is him kind of getting in our faces a little bit here today because he loves us too much. So let's start with how he confronts our corruption. Look at verse 21. Again, this is a pretty harsh, uh, incriminating charge against God's chosen people showing our inherent corruption. How the faithful cities become a whore. She who is full of justice. She who was full of justice and now has become unfaithful to God. What a tragic reversal of God's people who were once united to God through covenant love and, and brought to him as a bride, a beautiful, faithful, preserved and prepared bride for the Lord himself. Both Old Testaments and New Testaments, uh, Old Testament and New Testament, both describe the people of God as the chosen beloved bride of God himself, the bride of Christ in the New Testament. But now, Isaiah said, the church, the people of God, the covenant people, have become the opposite of a faithful bride. Jerusalem is representative here. Again, Zion, the, the city, is a symbol for the whole covenant people of God. People who used to help bring about God's good purposes and his justice, she was full of justice, which means the way things should be done. She used to help bring about God's justice, but now she's just furthering the injustice of this world. The famous preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote that every institution tends to produce its opposite. Every institution tends to produce its opposite. Let's be honest today about the church's track record. 
Who is God the harshest with? Who was Jesus the harshest with? It was the religious people of his day. If Jesus Christ came back today, what would he say to the churches? What would he say to the religious leaders? What would he say to pastors? I don't, I shudder to think what he would say to me. Are we playing our part, bringing about justice? The church has throughout history, I don't have time to get in all the ways that the church has brought about injustice in the world, but we need to be honest about that. Remember that justice is not simply giving people what they deserve, right? When we talk about biblical justice, God's justice, we're talking about making things right, making things just and whole again. When the church is not full of justice, as it says here, which means modeling the way that human life should be ordered and lived, God's heartbroken. He's heartbroken over our unfaithfulness to him. Then the rest of verse 21 goes on to say that righteousness used to lodge in Zion, the city of God, but now murderers. What happens when our spiritual priorities get out of line? Our morals and our social priorities follow suit. It's inevitable that what starts at the top trickles down. Have you ever put on a, a button-up shirt and you start with the wrong button and then you get to the bottom and every single button is wrong, right? You have to start all over again. Well, this starts with the Lord and our relationship with him. If we don't get that right, everything else will be off as well. Social values cannot be created, they cannot be maintained without a right spiritual commitment. Israel used to be a place where God's righteousness and his justice, his, a correct understanding of right and wrong prevailed, but no more. Things have changed. The spiritual bond with God has eroded, and therefore the spiritual bond with people has now eroded. People are looking at other people with murderous intentions. And you may say, oh, I never would kill anybody. I don't have any murderous thoughts. But the Bible says there's a lot of, way to kill, there's a lot of ways to kill somebody, aren't there? Character, assassination, just that hatred in our hearts for someone else. You don't have to scroll through much social media before you see just hateful comments, spiteful comments. You probably work in an environment where you've seen people who spurn one another with just a, a very real hate in their hearts for others. 1 John 3.15 makes it clear. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. I've been guilty of that. I've, I've hated someone. The Bible says that we are murderers. If there is someone in your heart today that you know you are just harboring this resentment for, then maybe you need to check your spiritual commitment. Where are you with the Lord right now? <clears throat> Verse 22, let's keep going. We've used the word dross several times today. It's been in our hymns, and here it is again in the scripture. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. The effect of social and moral erosion leads to a tarnishing and a diluting among God's people. We are infected with sin, and it can't get out of us unless the Lord does something. 
Silver that has become dross is completely worthless because it's corrupted from the inside out. Wine that has been touched by water, every particle of that wine is now diluted by water. Sin promises to spice up our lives and to enrich our lives and to, to bring about joy and fun and fulfillment. But we know that inevitably in the end where it leads us, it ends up ruining everything and it's pervasive and it's hard to get rid of. I'm not sure who said it, but it's true. Sin always takes you farther than you wanted to go, makes you stay longer than you wanted to stay, and makes you pay more than you wanted to pay. Sin always takes you further than you wanted to go, makes you stay longer than you wanted to stay, and makes you pay more than you wanted to pay. That's the nature of sin. That's how it works. Simone Weil, some of you had to read Simone Weil in high school or in college. She was a French Jewish philosopher and educator who uh, died in England during World War II, 1943, when she determined to live on the same rations as her fellow French men and French women uh, under Nazi occupation. And she understood the difference between good and evil, between virtue and sin. She wrote, nothing is so beautiful, nothing is so continuously fresh and surprising, so full of sweet and perpetual ecstasy as the good. And no deserts are so dreary, monotonous, and boring as evil. But with fantasy, it's the other way around. Fictional good is boring and flat, while fictional evil is varied, intriguing, attractive, and full of charm. Again, what Isaiah is trying to do is, is bring us to a prophetic awakening to reality. This is a reality check where we see that the dreariness of sin will, is not really what it pretends to be. You know, the, the reality of virtue and sin is that one leads to life and flourishing and thriving and one leads to destruction. Without the reality check, we're going to continue to be tempted by what appears to be awesome things that are really sinful leading to destruction and the, the freshness of righteousness will appear dull. We see our reality uh, the reality of our corruption further in verse 23. Keep reading. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless and, to the, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Who's responsible for the moral decline in Jerusalem? Well, every sinner is accountable to the holy God, right, for their actions, but leaders are held to a higher standard by God. They're put in positions of authority by God. They're appointed to lead in administrative and military and judicial or religious capacities. And they've revolted against God. They've rebelled, it says here, against the right things of God. They're corrupt. They love taking bribes to enhance their own selves. And they, they justify it by saying things like, well, this is the way the world works. This is how things get done. You got to grease the wheels a little to make things happen. And they justify 
enriching their own lives instead of caring for others, which is why they were appointed to lead in the first place. That's why the powerless gets stepped on, the widow, the fatherless. Widows in this day and age, remember, had no resource to work for themselves. They depended on those with power to help them. And those with power ended up, they didn't see other people as bearing the divine image of God as well, so they chose to trample them in order to enrich themselves again. Now we see the contrast of the corrupt rulers with the perfect holy judge of the world in verse 24. Therefore the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. Isaiah's saying, okay, listen, here's now what Yahweh, the God of angel armies, the sovereign ruler over all the earth, here's what he has to say about this situation. He reminds us that God is a right and just God all the time who cannot and will not abide sin and injustice. He will not let things slide. He will not just let things go. He will get relief from his enemies with our cooperation or without it. He will avenge himself on his foes. He's talking about his own people as enemies and foes. What a tragic state. Nothing will thwart God's good plans to bring about hope and healing to a world that desperately needs them. Not even corrupt politicians, police, professors, paramilitary leaders, no one. And here's what's, what's fascinating, okay? You, you see the charge and the indictment against God's people and our corruption. What comes next? We see God's angry resolve in verse 24. I'm gonna get my revenge. I would expect verse 25, therefore, to say, and now everyone's gonna get wiped off the face of the earth. Now it's time for judgment. Now it's time for total annihilation. But that's not who God is. Our God is a compassionate God. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and his grace is sufficient. It's amazing grace. Look at verse 25 and 26. It's a pledge to redeem us, not to destroy us. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. Lye is industrial strength cleaner. God's like, I got some heavy duty stuff and I can purge you. I can purify you and make you clean again. Verse 26, and I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness the faithful city. This is the point where we go from being confronted with our corruption to being confronted with the, I, I, the reality that God can and will and wants to redeem us, our own redemption. His hand is against us, but it may not feel good, but there will be smelting involved. Do you know what smelting is? I got to go see uh, Garney Scott. He's a church member here. I got to go see his aluminum processing plant, one of them in Waverly, Tennessee, uh, where Michaela's from. Uh, 
And it's a neat process. They use these fluxes, different chemical compounds they throw in there, and they burn hotter. Smelting is a purification process that involves intense amount of heat, violent heat. It's not really a fun process that I want to expose myself to, but we know supernaturally that, that going through God's smelting process is the best thing for our good and for his glory, ultimately. The discipline of God in our lives is not a disaster. It's a purifying process. It's an act of redemption and restoration. It achieves what only God can do to, to remove the impurities that are so ingrained in us that it makes us clean from the inside out. When we feel God's hand turn against us, let's receive it as a loving act of discipline from our good, good Father. A loving act to heal us and to cleanse us from whatever it is that has tried to destroy us. And remember, this is communal. All these yous are plural here. He's talking to our church. He's talking to our neighborhoods. He's talking to our workplaces. He's talking to our city. He's talking to our nation. This is for all of us. He longs to restore right judges and wise counselors so that the communities may flourish according to his good purposes and plans for the world. God wants to pave the way for us as his people to remain the faithful, loving, committed bride who loves him dearly. So now we're confronted with a decision. We have a decision to make, part three. Isaiah wants us to feel the weight of the decision here. In the last six verses, he showed us how God will purify his bride. And now in these last verses of chapter one, Isaiah says, are you in or out? Are you gonna be part of it or not? He's, he's calling on us to follow God into the refining fire of purification and to stay there long enough for his perfect plans to be carried out in and through us. Look at verses 27 and 28. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. Which one are you gonna be? It's one or the other. Those who repent shall be redeemed, not by God saying, oh, you've done pretty good. I guess I'll let you back into my arms. No, redemption is costly and it's sure and certain. Just as my friend in Birmingham would pay whatever it costs to, to buy back that beautiful guitar and make it his own again, so the Lord spared no expense in making us his own, in redeeming his bride. It was the price that God's own justice demanded, his own righteousness demanded a price that we could never have hoped to pay on our own. Titus chapter two, verse 13 says, our great God and savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, for his own bride, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God's perfect love and God's perfect justice met in the cross of Jesus Christ. It was a price that we could never have paid. 
And now we're saved to be God's own beloved possession. So what? So we can just enjoy a good, happy life? No. So we can be zealous for the good works that he has for us to do as we partner with him in helping making heaven come to earth, making earth less like hell and more like heaven. That's our purpose. All we have to do is repent. To make that decision to, to stop going our own way, to turn from our sin, and to run back to our good, good Heavenly Father who waits to receive us. You know, we bring nothing to the table. We add nothing of value to the equation to order to make us right with God, in order to redeem us. What Christ has done for us on the cross truly did pay it all, and now all to him we owe. Repentance is not a one-time thing either that happens when we first receive Christ. Repentance must be a daily discipline. It must be an hourly discipline. I have a mentor who's well into his 80s who was a pastor in Florida, and then he taught uh, Bible and religion at Belmont University for several years, and he continues to meet with me and a group of pastors every other week or so, and he says, I'm in recovery. And he says, I'm, I'm a recovering racist. I'm a recovering misogynist. I'm a recovering elitist. I'm a recovering snob, academic. And I think that's his way of saying I'm in repentance constantly. I'm, I'm constantly repenting of my own ways and choosing the Lord. We all need to receive afresh with empty hands of faith the true righteousness that only comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ each and every day, every hour. The cross will then become for us an ever-present, ever-increasing power of redemption as we learn what it means to repent. There is no other alternative to repentance that can lead to life and lead to flourishing. Verse 28 says it plainly, rebels and sinners shall be broken together and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. It's madness to ignore that reality. We know where sin leads. It might make us feel better to lie to ourselves about it and say, well, this is America. I can choose to believe whatever I want and so can you. And that's true. And, and, and none of that matters until you die. Then all that matters is what's true, what's right what's good. The last three verses here, Isaiah wants to underscore the reality of unrepentance. Look at verses 29 and 31. The reality, for they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desire. You shall blush for the gardens that you've chosen. You shall be like an oak whose leaf withers and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tender and his work a spark. And both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. We think of people who have built mighty oaks and who have attended these beautiful gardens as people who've really made it in life. But God says none of that stuff matters. That stuff's just going to burn up and go. You can't take it with you. What matters for eternity is when the weak become strong in God's power, not in earthly power. Don't pretend there's another way to truly flourish God's graciously confronting us with reality apart from him. It leads nowhere. All of our wrongly inspired desires resemble a dog chasing a car. The chase may be fun, but man, when you catch that car, it's not so fun. It's actually deadly. 
and the ways of God is the weakness of repentance that brings us into the power of redemption. The way to salvation, the way to flourishing in this life and the next is through conviction of sin, repentance, and redemption. Our redemption is sure because there is a redeemer. His name is Jesus Christ, and he's given everything to make us his own. Let's give all that we are now in order to make him ours. If we approach him honestly with all of our problems, all of our issues, all of our baggage, he will receive us as we are and take us in his arms. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for paying the price that we could not have ever paid on our own. That you have redeemed us through the cross of Jesus Christ. That you spared no expense, not even your only son, in order to bring us back and make us right with you both now and forever. Lord, forgive us for choosing our own ways and for running towards things that ultimately are not only not good for us, but can end up killing us. I pray that you would help us to run towards you today with all that we are, knowing that you've paid everything and now we owe you everything. May we live lives that are worthy of, of being your bride. May you make us more holy. We know that's gonna be painful, God. We know the heat will turn up in the smelting process as you get rid of our dross. But Lord, we pray that you would purify us in order that we may be closer to you as your bride, in order that we may be more zealous for the good works that you've prepared for us, in order that we may faithfully play our part in bringing about justice and righteousness for the world, for our neighborhood, for our families, and for our church. Oh God, it's only at the cross that we find these things. God, our hearts are idle factories that keep churning out false gods. May we, we say to you, we return to our first love. My Jesus, I love thee. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to have a time of response now, and uh, I'm going to invite you to, in your heart, whatever it is that you need to do today, if you've never received the free gift of salvation that comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, there's no better time to accept that gift than right now. Maybe you've been running from the Lord. You've been going your own way. We had a crazy story here on Friday. I told some of the small groups about it today where a couple showed up on our doorstep here in the, the breezeway, and we uh, Rachel got him some food, and Lil brought him inside and got him warm, and turned out that uh, I, I got to pray with a couple, and I prayed that the Lord would lead them where they needed to be. And I left here, and Nick Bushy was here, and he texted me a few hours later and said, well, the police have surrounded the place and taken the, the lady off in handcuffs. She was a fugitive from the law, running away from what had been her past, out on a $100,000 bond after two felonies. She was a fugitive, and that's all of our story. All of us who have run away from the Lord. Maybe today you, you feel that you've got to repent and return to him. Maybe you're scared of the smelting process. Don't be afraid. It may be painful, but it'll be the best thing for you, the best thing for your community, for your family, to return to him with all your heart. Maybe the Lord wants you to be where you need to be today. Maybe that's closer to his heart through repentance. 
If you're ready to join Woodmont Baptist Church as a member, we believe in being uh, members of this family of faith, in loving each other, holding each other accountable, supporting each other, grieving with each other, and rejoicing with one another in victories. Whatever it may be, if you're ready to join Woodmont Baptist Church, I'll be here at the front. If you just want to come pray, that's fine too. Please keep your mask on and try to distance and all those things as we uh, keep asking the Lord to make this thing go away. Uh, But whatever it is that you need to do in your heart today, please don't leave this place until responding as we stand and sing our, our song of invitation, My Jesus, I Love Thee.